that we're likely to shine, so we don't have any of the philosophy. Um, she's, um, uh, I, I put it at the beginning of the talk, the saint, the writer, and the mystic. Edith Stein is, well, she's the, an official saint, and they're all saints, they're all writers, and they're all mystics, but maybe the, the most obvious characteristic of Edith Stein is her, as a saint. The most obvious characteristic of Etty is, is as a writer. Um, she saw herself as a, uh, primarily as a, as a writer, an artist with words, and um, very moving. And if I if I cry when I read something um, Edith Stein wrote, I definitely cry when I read something Etty writes because they're very moving. She really writes them um, from the heart. Um, she was, uh, and she, she's there's the diaries. And the letters, so it's very personal what she writes. She doesn't write sort of lectures and philosophical treatises like Edith Stein. <laughs> They're very personal, and it's she, again this search for truth. But it's quite a interesting. From the beginning, she says, "What I'm looking for is my own truth." She's part of this uh, subjective uh, thing, whereas Edith Stein is this objective truth, or the, the phenomenology is trying to see the the connection between the two. I mean, she was very... Uh, Etihadism was about who she was, who she was. And she came out of this, um, uh, this sort of psychotherapeutic world as well. Um, she was... Um, if you read the diaries, there's a lot about her experience of, of um, sort of psychotherapy and coming to knowing herself through that. Um, rather peculiar psychotherapy, but <coughs> it seemed quite effective because she did go through massive transformation in a short time. Um, she was also born into a family um, a little later than Edith Stein, and in, in Holland rather than Germany, in Amsterdam, or no, the family was outside Amsterdam anyway, but she spent most of her life in Amsterdam. They were um, not a family, they were not um, a practicing Jewish, uh, and so she wasn't really brought up with any faith. There was a, a secular Jews. Um, mother was Russian Jewish, and her father was Dutch Jewish, and um, it was a rather unlike, again, <coughs> Edith Stein's Home life was very idyllic in many ways, very structured. Um, the, uh, Etty's home life was very chaotic, uh, and, and she writes about the trauma of having to go home. And there's a, a sense of a, a sort of mental illness there. Her brother suffered from major breakdowns, and uh, she always thought her mother was quite railed. And um, so she's struggling with this mental health, really. And this is why the interest in psychotherapy um, uh, and why it's so touching with the story, because it's so human. She writes about herself. Um, well, sometimes I, the slides get a bit messed up. And this is one way it's been messed up, if you can't read it. Um, again, I wanted to... Uh, 
go home in on this contemplative experience, which we've seen Edith Stein talk about, what is prayer and what is meditation. And Etty wasn't coming from a religious background. She also discovered this practice and taking time away. She says in the diaries, you can't read this, but sometimes the most important thing in the whole day is the rest we take between two breaths or turning inwards I've lost the next slide turning inwards in prayer for five short minutes the most important thing in the day exactly what Edith Stein said the most important time in the day is those times where we we rest and turn inwards even for five minutes. It seems that Edith was proposing an hour in the morning, <laughs> where Etty proposes five minutes. <laughs> She's, again, a little more human. <laughs> there she is with, with a young girl with her brother, I think that's Misha. Her brother was a, uh, a famous pianist. So a very gifted family, um, troubled. Um, and this sort of inner solitude is again something a connection with Edith Stein um, Etty says in one myth in the diary life may be brimming over with experiences but somewhere deep inside all of us carry a vast and fruitful loneliness wherever we go I love that a vast and fruitful loneliness a solitude discovery of solitude um, and it's always with us and to befriend that befriend that Etty is part of that thing that befriending your loneliness is or your solitude is becoming who you are because there's only one of you in the world so to become who you are is to become solitary um, so, and she was always discussed trying to find who, who she was um, okay. this is a picture of her reading the newspapers there's troubles as we've seen of the German invasion of Holland um, and then the whole uh, gradually the um, diaries this becomes a more and more dominant theme um, she doesn't go into sort of political commentary she relates to the whole experience um, of the war and later the persecution of the Jewish people from um, from the inside, from how who she is. So all disasters stem from us, she said. Why is there a war? Perhaps because now and then I might be inclined to snap at my neighbour. <laughs> That's why there's the Second World War. <laughs> so, um, um, This is another saying, um, we can, uh, again linked to that, Amps living in Amsterdam during his troubles, we cannot be lax enough in what we demand of others and strict enough in what we demand of ourselves. So start dealing with the problems in, in yourself, not in others. So let other people off. <laughs> Deal with it in yourself, that's what she seems to be saying. Take responsibility for everything. Um, and then this vocation with her family and the two brothers the parents 
Um, and this vocation she felt as, as an artist or writer particularly. She loved literature. She was a, her work was a translating Russian into and giving Russian classes. But she loved Russian literature. She loved various poets. And she felt she was called to, to be an artist. And yet she, in the end, writing was very important to her. But, but the art, she felt that the greatest art was to create yourself, really. Yourself as a, as a human being. Um, so she says, I do believe it is possible to create even without ever writing a word or painting a picture by simply moulding one's inner life. But she's still in her diary, she's practicing writing, and there's some um, very, anyway, uh, she's trying to discover who, what she is writing, what is the story of her life. Um, and right at the beginning of the diary, she stumbles across, but she's not religious particularly, there's no mention of God at the beginning, uh, this little theme of her diet, what her life might be, the story of, of the girl who gradually learned how to kneel, is something I would love to write in the fullest possible way. And that, in many ways, is what she wrote. It becomes the, 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 the dominant theme of the diary. Um, and again, a bit like Edith Stein, she, she starts by, instead of having opinions, um, we have to create the space for ourselves to grow. The important thing is not believing in things. Um, the important thing is creating space for an inner life to happen. That's where um, real transformation happens. And she's speaks about finding this little enclosure in, in her daily life. And she lives a very chaotic life. I mean, she has um, the psychotherapist who becomes a, a, someone she loves or a lover. I never quite worked out exactly the relationship between them. She has her, a man she's living with who's her um, landlord who she seems to... But she's very loving, but it's a pretty chaotic life but she's gradually trying to get this sort of inner, inner stability. Um, uh, and so, th yes, this part of... Um, yeah, I'm just taking little selections of my favourite sayings. Uh, what those who say, you live too intensely. She was in accused, she was slightly sort of like maybe manic depressive in some ways, and in the early part of the diary she's up and down, sort of ill, and, and then very enthusiastic, everything's wonderful, and then there collapse again. And then gradually this stability comes, incredible sort of stability where she's, um, where she lives with this intensity, everything is sort of, uh, she wants to experience everything fully. Um, but she's, she's able to live, do that, she says, because of this practice of withdrawal, of, of prayer, of what she comes to call prayer. Um, so what they do not know, those who accuse her of living too intensely, is that one can withdraw into a prayer as into a convent cell 
and leave it again with renewed strength and will and with peace regained. Um, so if only we make certain that our path to God is unblocked by working on ourselves, this thing, she's always trying to work on herself, to unblock this inner source. And then we can re- keep renewing ourselves at the, this source and never burn out, basically. You can then live very intensely and yet always sort of getting this new strength. So it's not using up your own strength. So she's trying to unblock the well so that the water can keep flowing. Um, but then like like Edith Stein, she talks about the, 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 the testing of daily life, uh, what she calls the, the worries are worrying. Um, so the worries are like fleas, which sap our energy. We have to conserve every bit of our energy. So we have to um, fight any worries which may take away our, our, our vivacity, our capacity to live fully. So we waste our time with the flea. Sometimes that's the flea he's fighting off. This is where the flea actually picks you up and takes you away, um, which is worrying about the future um, when it's totally wasted. Um, Everything will turn out quite differently from what we expect or fear anyway. So um, don't waste the energy on that. And then, coming from this rather bohemian artistic world where the emphasis seemed to be to become an artist or someone special, someone creative, she sort of reacts against that. She sees how that also is a a distraction of finding who you really are. Uh, And she, um, so in one bit of the diary, she says this is become simple and live simply not only within yourself, but also in your everyday dealings. Don't make ripples all around you. Don't try to be interesting. Keep your distance, be honest, fight the desire to be thought fascinating by the outside world. Ultimately, we have just one moral duty, to reclaim large areas of peace in ourselves. More and more peace and to reflect it towards others. So to find this peace is the only real thing we have to do. And the more peace there is in us, the more peace there will also be in our troubled world. And she, gradually as the diary unfolds, God becomes um, more and more central. It seems as if she had a sort of natural faith uh, to God. She doesn't practice and she never went to the synagogue. She never converted and became Christian, although she loved the Gospels at the end. She talks about the Gospels and how, and very inspired by, but not just the Gospels, the whole Bible. She loved the Bible. Um, but she really encountered God in these moments of stillness. Um, says there's really a deep well inside me and in it dwells God and the depths of herself is God. I am, sometimes I am there too. So she is the distracted one. God is always there. Uh, but, so, um, 
but more often stones and grit block the well and God is buried beneath. Then he must be dug out again. So getting rid of the, the baggage, the clutter of our, of our inner world in order to sort of dwell with that presence of God. This was um, tested in the, uh, again, the, the tested in the fire for her when she was, when the Jews started to be rounded up in Holland. And uh, there's this transit camp of Westerborg, the second half of the diaries, uh, is this transition from a sort of bohemian artistic sort of life with a psychotherapist and all that, to having to deal with serious suffering of the, of the people. She worked for something called the Jewish Council, which looked after the Jewish people um, as they were being rounded up. And then later she went to work in the camp. And um, this becomes the, la- the second half of the, of the diaries, where it's really tested that peace that she was trying to find earlier on. That's for 101,000 Dutch Jews and 5,000 German Jews were rounded up over the years there, and only 5,200 survived. But it was a transit camp, it wasn't a concentration camp, they were kept there, and then they were sent in these trains to Auschwitz and Dachau, and that's where they were killed. She was working there. It's interesting that she was there, and Edith Stein was also there. Uh, Etty was there for a long time, July 1942 to September, sorry, it's been cut off, 1943, so more than a year, whereas Edith was only there for a few days. But she describes in the diaries all the nuns arriving in their full habit, uh, and how impressed she was by the nuns. even though they didn't stay long. And this time of working in the transit camp, she saw the suffering of the Jewish people, how they, nothing had prepared them for this. These were doctors, lawyers, leading normal lives, and suddenly living in the, like cattle in a, in a shed, and without any uh, the, and pathetic sort of... She sees the weakness of it, of how difficult this is for people, and yet the sort of strength. Um, and she tries to look at it straight in the eyes, this suffering. I'm, I'm not afraid to look suffering straight in the eyes. At the end of the day, there was always the feeling, I love people so much. Never any bitterness about what was done to them, but always love for those who knew how to bear so much although nothing had prepared them for such burdens. And she talks about how they're quite resilient and they're absolutely overcrowded at certain stages when a lot would be shipped in and then before they were taken out and the the terror living in that they knew these trains coming in to take them away were rumours had come back that nobody was ever heard of again once they'd been taken away. So they were in terror of being rounded up for these trains. Um, and yet they continued their, as much as they could their normal life, you know, the Sabbath, singing the, the songs. 
uh, in Rastaborg. And this, instead of blaming God, and this is something that she, she felt people were often blaming God for what was happening to them. They were supposed to be the chosen people and look what was happening and what's God doing. And she turns it the other way around saying, take the responsibility herself for what she's, and that she can help God. That God, a bit like, uh, needs our help. Um, we, we, and so she, she's not interested in sort of trying to understand the situation. She's interested in seeing God as uh, some, someone who needs help in the people that she's working with. Um, and the best way that, to help them is to, uh, is to guard God in ourselves. Guard that bit of God in ourselves. And it says, you cannot help us, but we must help you and defend your dwelling place inside us. And there are those who want to put their bodies in safekeeping, but who are nothing more now than a shelter for a thousand fears and bitter feelings. And they say, I shan't let them get me into their clutches. Everyone trying to avoid getting rounded into the camp or getting into the train. But they forget that no one is in their clutches who is in your arms. A sense that, um, yeah, that God is holding them. Yeah, and this is the testing, the real testing, much more than the day's work at the office of this situation. To know at the end that it's still meaningful. It still all comes down to the same thing. Life is beautiful, and I believe in God, and I want to be right in the thick of what people call the horror and still be able to say life is beautiful. And it's very touching, her little prayers to God. As the diary progresses, whole bits of it become sort of prayer uh, written to God. I now realize this is late on in September 1942, before she's herself with her family. One of the hardest things for her is when her parents and brother go to, taken into the camp and the parents are very old and she doesn't care about, she's sort of trying to help other people, she's not worried about herself but then suddenly she becomes very worried about her parents and this is the latter part of the diary of having to struggle with even though you've, you don't, you let go of self-concern those concerns for those you love is very, is going to stay with you. And she never denies that. She continues to be, and in the end, she goes with them. Uh, so she said, and this is close to the, the time when she's taken off to Auschwitz from Westerborg. Uh, I now realize, God, how much you have given me, so much that was beautiful and so much that was hard to bear. Yet whenever I showed myself ready to bear it, the hard was directly transformed into the beautiful. She doesn't talk about the cross here, but this is what Edith Stein's saying about the cross as well. The, the hard is transformed into the beautiful. And the beautiful was sometimes much harder to bear. So overpowering did it seem. 
to think that one so the, the yeah to think that one small human heart can experience so much oh god oh god so much suffering and so much love i'm so grateful to you god for having chosen my my heart it's so sweet <laughs> So sweet. I mean, she's so positive in that situation to see that and to, to be so grateful for the suffering. Um, and like, anyway, it's amazing. And again, this is right at the end. Um, lovely little, she, she had this thing about kneeling. She wasn't brought up religious. But she, she loved to kneel, and the moment she knelt down, she felt she was in prayer. Sometimes when I... But then she... Yeah, a busyness. She used to do this when she had her own little room in Amsterdam. But in the, canvas, in the um, transit camp, there was no room. It was totally overcrowded, and there was no space to kneel and be demonstrative. So there had to be this inner kneeling. This inner kneeling. So sometimes when I least expect it, someone suddenly kneels down in some corner of my being. When I'm out walking or just talking to people, and that someone, the one who kneels down, is myself. And the deepest and richest part in which I pose is what I call God. This is, um, she's writing, she writes these letters, and this is one of her friends, Klaus, who's a Marxist and very, uh, kind of in, rea- in you know, understandably, but still looking for a political solution to this whole situation and still feeling the, the um, re- need for justice and revenge and all this stuff. Um, and Etty turns it right round, typically Etty, and says, the only thing is to deal with yourself. The only thing we can do, Klaus, I see no alternative. Each of us must turn inward and destroy in himself all that he thinks he ought to destroy in others. We are responsible for every atom of hate that we add to this world. We create peace in ourselves. You, Klaus, dogged old class fighter that you have always been, and you, dismayed and astonished at the same time, hearing her say this, but say, say, but that is nothing but Christianity. And I, amused at your confusion, retort quite coolly, yes, Christianity, why ever not? She never became Christian, although she saw that the, the Gospels contained this message. Uh, but the Bible stayed very important to her. In fact, this is um, when she is finally, the whole family is rounded up and put on the train to go to Auschwitz. Uh, she takes the Bible with her and she writes um, this last postcard which she throws from the train which is picked up by someone, um, says, opening the, on this postcard, she says, opening the Bible, I find this, the Lord is my high tower. I'm sitting on my rucksack in the middle of a full freight car, 
father, mother, Misha, a few cars away. In the end, the departure came without warning. We left the camp singing, father and mother firmly and Misha too. There. You feel, I mean, she's so touching in the diary about how she loves her family. Yeah, yeah, but they left singing, yeah. In the horror of it, I mean, uh, yeah. And the, when they arrived at Auschwitz, they had three days in the train without any sanitation packed in these trains, no food, no water. I mean, it, a lot of them died before they even arrived at Auschwitz. Um, and when they arrived, actually the mother and father were immediately taken to the gas chambers like Edith was, and gassed immediately on arrival. Uh, Etty lived on some months in Auschwitz and then is recorded to have died. And the Misha actually survived the, uh, to the liberation of Auschwitz, but was so weak uh, that on the journey back to Holland, he died on the way back. Um, I'm saying, oh, I always cry when I read this one. Um, <laughs> so this, this, this is about her discovery as a, as a writer, yeah. And she says, this is quite early on when she's still in Amsterdam before she's even go, gone to the, to the camp. Um, and I shall wield this fountain pen as if it were a hammer. And my, my words will have to be so many hammer strokes with which to beat out the story of our fate and of a piece of history as it is and never was before. The, yeah, I mean, if you want to get a picture of that, what happened, I mean, read the diaries, I mean, how... And then, then the sense that the wanting to be an artist uh, kind of gives way, really, into wanting to, in what's really important. She says, I may never become the artist that I would really like to be, but I am always secure in you, God. Sometimes I try my hand at turning out small profundities and uncertain short stories, but I always end up with just one single word. God. And that says everything. And there's no need for anything more. <laughs> and then, then at the end, she had this premonition that the story would be the one who, the girl who learnt how to kneel. And she says this at the end, she said of the diaries, um, of course, the diaries continued, but there was a whole version which got taken to Auschwitz and, and would have been destroyed on arrival at Auschwitz. So they break off. That's why sometimes it's published as an interrupted life, because they break off and the letters fill a bit later on. But anyway, at the end, she says, that's the manuscript of it, 
What a strange story it really is, my story. The girl who could not kneel, or its variations, the girl who learned to pray. That's one of the commentaries on it. <laughs> so it's a, which is very touching, the, the whole thing, very touching. So, um, I don't know if we have 10 minutes, any questions or Yes, I think to someone, and they were picked up, I mean, it was a postcard, but whether other people did this as well. There was a lot of <coughs> difficulty getting letters in and out of the transit camp. Actually, she had it easier because she was working for this Jewish council, so she was able to. Most people couldn't. Um, but in the end, even her right to write letters was... She wasn't able to. So the moment she got out of the train, I mean, the moment she got on the train, she took the chance to throw some message out. And, um, and I think it was addressed to someone, yeah. And it was picked up by people near who, who then sent it. Taking up the theme of empathy from Edith Stark, there is an astonishing uh, section in um, Eddie Hillison's diary where she is called before the Gestapo. Mm. And, right, and she looks at this young, strutting Gestapo officer. And she sees him as a poor boy, a, a sort of a boy who's become a bully. Yeah. And I found that one of the most difficult parts to read because, I mean, difficult to illuminate it, they're magnificent. Yeah. But um, it's, there isn't anger, yeah. it's, it's total compassion for what has happened to this human being. Yeah. And I think that may be one of the reasons why I went to um, the Anne Frank. Um, place in Amsterdam. Yeah. I asked about Eddie Hillison at the Anne Frank place. Yeah. And Eddie Hillison is not known so much. And yeah. not, uh, Anne Frank has become the, the, yeah. the, the symbol in, 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 in Jewish culture. Eddie Hillison, people are slightly afraid of because she wasn't angry. Yeah. She was, it's as though the resistance is not strong enough. She is a person of compassion. And I think that a lot of Jewish people are still trying to cope with how do we deal with the memory of such persecution? How can you see your persecutors as, as human beings mm. whose actions are consequences of a past mm. and not just embodiments of evil? Mm. Yes. Uh, and that must have been so difficult for Eti to come to that position. Mm. She always tried to see the humanity and in people, and at times was difficult. I remember right at the end, she sees the commander, the camp commander, marching up and down outside the train, and she says his face was like a mask, uh, that he was not human. And the, um, all these Jewish people who they tried to treat as subhuman were still human, and he wasn't. <laughs> Yes. 
arrived at the camp and was worried that she'd left something behind and Etty knew <coughs> that that was so minor compared to what she's going to lose. She's going to lose everything and she's worried about leaving some object that she, that she you know. Yeah. Yeah. historical situation makes you feel what that was and the horror of it um, and the great sorrow um, uh, but I think it, it can be applied to other situations now I mean I mean yeah Yes. Yeah. She was quite demanding on herself, yeah. In, and um, yeah, I think it's a uh, yeah. She had to learn to, to love herself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, she does say. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite. Well, she says that we're responsible for every atom of hate which we bring into the world. She doesn't say we're responsible for other people. No, but I'm saying is that we say we're responsible for every atom of hate. I'm saying surely... We bring in. Yeah. Oh, no, but surely we... we just, I mean... Can I ask you? Yeah, yeah, please do. Because uh, I'm American. 
Great love, but it was very human love. It was, I think that's the touching thing. Edith Stein is also great love, but it's sort of some. It's sort of some. She talks about this great love, and yet really quite see it at a human level. Uh, I'm sure it was there, but it, 
she was sort of sort of living in a convent, whatever. Uh, and it's very spiritualized. I mean, I'm sure that the the gift of Edith Steiner giving herself at the end, although she had no choice, um, was an act of great love. I don't, but it's sort of beyond my understanding how it can be. I do it. But with Etty, it's fleshed out in tiny little details of affection for the, the, the human situation in its, um, in its sort of poignancy and, and, and just totally human. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, um, I think it speaks to us today. Yeah. Very human. I mean, I got a bit annoyed reading the diary at the beginning with this peculiar infatuation with a therapist and things like that. <laughs> and yet that doesn't matter at all. It's all part of her um, growing, her, her sort of growth. And, and actually even that seemed quite beautiful, really, after a while. <laughs> it opened something up in her, which yeah. is quite remarkable. Yeah. You, I mean, he was married and he was away from his wife and they seemed to be having this quite infectious affair at one level. But that, that's what I'm saying, that that opened up something up in her. Yeah. It touched something in her heart. Yeah. So I'm just saying that so out of whatever's wrong, or whatever you want to call it, comes something else. So I think we've got to be very, very careful about that kind of thing. Right at the beginning, um, second straight about Eddie, you said, what I'm looking for is my own truth, my subjective truth. And that was her own truth. It might not be your own truth, but yeah, it was yeah. her own truth. And, truth. and we can't invalidate. And all of us will get something different from her. And I think that's the great teacher of her. She was after being true in the time that she lived in, to herself, to the time that she lived in, to the people that were around her. And that will be different for each of us. Yeah. She reminds us that we can actually find our own truth. It might not be hers, yeah. but it will be our own. Yeah. That's one of the great things I love about her. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it, yeah. She tells her own story. That's it. It's about telling, which is very different from Edith. You, you don't get much. She, <laughs> Edith Stein doesn't give much away, really, about herself that much. I mean, even the story of her upbringing in the Jewish family is a story about them. <laughs> uh, but from the beginning, Etty's sort of telling her story. She doesn't see them. And good and bad. Yeah. 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 Yeah.